Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Rich Lawrence, who is Vice President of Special Markets at Helen of Troy, and he is also an adjunct professor of leadership in the Sam M. Walton College of Business. His teaching evaluations are off the charts, semester after semester. Students love learning from him, and he is a lifelong learner, so he has a, a lot of responsibility. He is in charge of sales and marketing, and f- across mass, club, dollar, and C-store channels, uh, including trade marketing, marketing research, business development, and personnel development. Uh, he was with Idel Labs for 11 years. He was with uh, Crossmark for uh, over seven years. He's worked with ConAgra and Norfolk Southern rail carrier. So he has lots of experience. But the other thing about Rich that I will point out, he's always continuing his education. When he graduated, he didn't just stop there. He is continually getting uh, certificates in executive education from Harvard Law School, Harvard Business School, the Wharton School, MIT Sloan School of Management. He has studied leadership, strategic persuasion, how to manage complex business issues, and building customer-centric teams, and, and more. As I said, I've known him for many years, and he's always sending me interesting articles and just seems like he's always trying to expand his his uh, knowledge. And, and so that's something we're going to be talking about today is knowledge and learning. Uh, Rich, thank you for taking time to visit with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. I, I want to take you wherever I go, Matt, after that <laughs> introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's a grand collaboration. I, I'm so happy to be associated with Walton College and you and the team that you've put together. So, Rich, uh, you know, you and I over the years, a lot of times you you send me Wall Street Journal articles, Forbes articles, all kinds of uh, newsletters and so forth that you think are interesting. And I always am glad you send them. In fact, I I keep them and and, and read them. And But I want to talk a little bit about boundary spanning and you know boundary spanning is a term that isn't used a lot but it has a very specific meaning and it means what it sounds like spanning the boundary so for example you run a team selling cpg but you span the boundaries you're always trying to learn new things in sometimes in areas outside of your your area of expertise but have you always been a boundary spanner or is that something you learned to do as you were going through your career? I've always been curious. Um, I'm curious why people believe what they believe, but I, you know, you and I have talked before in business, you get paid for perspective. And so your, your value is really how broad of perspective can you bring? And so I've always gravitated to people in the industries that were, broad thinkers that would narrow things in and not rush to closure. There's many facets to this. And Matt, I think you actually the one that, that told me 
this that you know the uh, the triangle defense of you, me, and we. I think when I met you over twenty years ago, I remember having a this this kind of discussion with you, and I that's kind of how I triangulate to say it's okay. How how do I get the full picture here? And then I I always step back and realize there's something I don't know. That's why I love talking to people like you and uh, Molly Rayford and John Cole and Jeff Murray. And there's always an angle that I don't see. I never really fully say, oh, you know what? I know that because there's somebody smarter than me in it. A lot of people don't realize this, but one way you learn is through teaching, right? Because when you teach, you not only have to master the material, but you have to explain it to others. Uh, as you're in, as you're educating others, you wind up learning a lot. I know when I was a, a senior, actually, as an undergraduate, I, I took a class called mathematical economics, and I really liked it. But there was a, a graduate student there from a, another country. He was struggling with the language. I mean, he didn't have trouble with with the the coursework, but it 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 wound up being difficult. So after class every day, I would go through my notes with him. And that was the first time I realized, wow, that's how you learn hard material. Yeah. And, I, you know, so I want to ask you questions, too, because I, I think you are um, you're one of the best learners in college. We typically stumble across how we learn. And I would love you just kind of outlined how, how you learn. And I I think that's that's huge is to be able to, as you're encoding something, to think about it in terms of I've got to teach this. I'm going to listen at a different level. But I'm curious, Matt, on for you, when I talk to you, I, your your level of attention is unmatched. So when you're encoding new information, do you listen for it as though you are going to have to take that information and teach it? Is that how you process it? Exactly. And part of the reason, Rich, is that I think effective conversations require sometimes you to restate what someone's saying, you know, especially with difficult conversations. And and so it's really become a, a just a practice of mine. But I, I also learned that a little bit when I was uh, back when I had a software company, when I was on a sales call, for example, right? listening carefully, what are they interested in doing with my software? What are they not interested in? And then if you pay close attention and you restate it, because they may say it in a different way. But I also think when I was an undergraduate, I wanted to get straight A's for some reason. And I read a book called Getting Straight A's. Uh, it's probably out of date, but one of the ideas, there were a few ideas, the, the book said, sit in the front of the class, take copious notes. Before you go to sleep, recopy those notes. And every day, review the notes. And so it gets longer and longer. And I remember thinking, oh, I won't be able to review all these notes because it's going to get too long. But what happens is the longer it gets, the faster you get at the earlier material. So you can start flipping through it more quickly. But it goes into your long-term memory. And then by the time finals come, you really don't need to study, you know, because you've already reviewed the material so much. But but where it gave me an advantage in graduate school was, you know, I remember details, details from things I had learned many, many years ago, even though there was a gap there. 
you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I've learned some things worked, some things didn't. I created frameworks for all kinds of things. And I turned it into a book and uh, just came out, um, awesome. actually. I'll need but, an autographed copy of that, by the way. <laughs> it, you know, the target market's so small, right? I mean, it's for department chairs and associate deans that want to be deans someday or current deans that want to hear a, a perspective on how to lead in a, this kind of role. But the benefit of writing it was probably more to me. So to answer your question, part of the way I learn is through writing and explaining things to other people, just part of the way. You know, just listening to your narrative there, what struck me is the what you gleaned from that book on the, to be a straight A student. It's the focused approach to learning, but but then also the diffused learning of read, looking and meditating on those notes before you go to bed. What strikes me about it, I know the genius of it because you live it. And, and then I see the the manifestation of that. What intrigues me is when you tell kids hey, this, if you want to do this, this is a process and it takes a mental intellectual rigor. I'm not going to make a blanket statement that there's a lot of people that are intellectually lazy, but it's, there is a percentage. They won't bring that energy to it. It's kind of like when you talk about leadership, leadership takes energy. And when you teach leadership, you see some students get afraid because it's like, man, that's, that's a lot to do. If, if I want to be, you know, to develop a skill and it's, it's incremental over years, it, your consistency is what makes you excel. Wow. That's so true. You know, I know when I was going through my cancer treatments, the, the radiation and the chemo really brought my energy level down. It was very hard to kind of get up, but now of course that's four years behind me and I still struggle sometimes you know what do you do to get your energy up so i've surrounded myself with people like you molly rapert i i always tell the students i wished when i was in my 20s i would have recognized to surround myself with inspired excited and grateful people because i know those are the people i get energy from you know some people are energy vampires so now i i, I just i back away from it so i you know, when you and I have lunch, I leave energized. Uh, Uche, when I have lunch with him, I leave energized. Jeff Murray, I, I mean, part of learning energizes me, as I know it does you. So if people say, what do you do in your spare time? I try to learn. When you, you know, you, when you read books, there's an escape to it. I grew up on a farm, and so my natural alarm clock goes off at four in the morning. And I, I usually read from four to six in the morning. But it is weird, you know, it's like I'd say you and I are both middle-aged now, and it's you learn energy management, and I really think that's the key. It's not time management, at least at this stage in our lives. Right. It's energy management. So I, I'm very intentional who I'm going to go to lunch with and that I know that they're going to give me energy because I can I feed off it. So when I have lunch with you, I feel like I just plug into your shoulder and say, okay, juice me with some new ideas and then you know I, I come away from that yeah well you know i've taught undergraduates master's students doctoral students executive education programs and so forth and i think how it comes in varies a little bit and it's changed over the years but uh i try to be fairly transparent and kind of like 
this is who I am. It's my personality. You know, there's certain things that make me unique. And so they come through when I teach. It doesn't necessarily work well with everyone. Just like, you know, you don't always click with, with people. There's some professors that you click with and some you don't. But when you're teaching something that big, it's hard to give a personal touch in some ways. But then I will sometimes, I try not to tell too many personal stories because I think it can get boring, but I will try to give some just to let them know I'm a human being, you know, uh, and I, I care about them because um, I really do. And I know you do too. And that's why you teach. So I think there's actually been some research done that shows that when students feel the professor cares about them, they learn more. And I find it to be true. But, but Rich, uh, I also remember, I know of stories of students where we've had conferences here. And, and one thing kind of unique about the Walton College, as you know, is we're so integrated with the business community here because there's so many business people here. And so we'll have these conferences sometimes. But a lot of times we have extremely high-level people at these things, way more than you would expect. C-level people from the biggest companies on earth, and you, you've been to many of those. But I remember you told students before, you need to go up and introduce yourself to so-and-so, the CEO of whatever. You do that. It's scary for a student to do that, but it's such a important growth experience. It is. And I, I, that's one thing that I've loved about the Walton College is that opportunity and i you know i I didn't go to the walton college and i there were very few c-level executives that came through iu if i'd had this opportunity when i was they're not going to hit you and you're never going to be able to say hey i you know i just met doug mcmillan or lee scott or where else in the world northwest arkansas my goodness ceo jb hunt or yeah i met can i ask you a, a question on how you process your knowledge intake there's so much stuff that bombards us with you know linkedin twitter you because you do an amazing job of putting forth the positive walton college brand how do you parse out everything that's coming at you because i think this is one of the things that a lot of students struggle with is how do i actually know what i need to pay attention to in news that's a tough one you know, Rich, I read so many sources, the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, The New York Times, The Barons. I like Barons a lot. There's all kinds of uh, sources of information. And I, I love LinkedIn. One of the reasons I like LinkedIn is because you can throw out ideas out there and get other people's input. Mm-hmm. And you start getting communities like I know there's a group of people that I interact with them a lot and they interact with me a lot. And we share information that we know one another would like through LinkedIn. But we make it public as we're sharing it so that anyone could comment. You can learn so much about people. I think it's good for students to get active in it quickly because they may see Rich Lawrence is running this company and doing all these great things. And it can feel intimidating, but they can look at your LinkedIn profile and see, oh, he took steps like everyone takes in yeah. their career. I can get there too. But I guess I know your question is how do I figure out what to focus on? So I do try to delve into things that are of importance to me, like 
I'm leading the Walton College, I need to be studying leadership all the time. But I also make sure I boundary span. What I mean by that is sometimes I'll be reading the newspaper, say the Wall Street Journal as an example. I will intentionally read articles I'm not interested in. Just I just go down the list, like I might read the first five articles. You know, maybe only one of them is of interest to me personally. But I've found that by doing that, you learn more about things that you're not aware of and you wind up liking it. I remember, so when I was an undergrad, one of the professors I had, he he said, if you're going to go into business, you should read the Wall Street Journal every day. And so they had a deal like we do where you could subscribe at a really low rate as a student. And I did that. And of course, it wasn't online back then. So I read it, the paper copies. But I remember the first time I started reading the Wall Street Journal, I thought, I wasted money because I can't understand anything here. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went up to the professor, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, and I said, I don't understand any of this. (laughs) You told me to read. He said, well, if you just keep reading it every day, you'll be able to read more and more of it as you get older. But don't give up. Just keep trying. And then I would read things, you know, the we, we learned about GDP and um, a foreign direct investment and et cetera, et cetera, interest rates. Well, we'd be studying that in class and I'd see it talked about in the Wall Street Journal. And I kind of start to know. And I, I noticed by the end of you know my senior year, I really I understood a lot more. It was still small. I mean, I bet it was less than 5% that I could understand even by that point. But now that I'm 56, you know, there's a lot of it that I can understand. I'm I'm not an expert in it for sure. But in terms of filtering, I think the more foundation you have, this is everything from understanding terminology to processes to how things work together. I think it allows you to filter things out more quickly and to know what's relevant to me and what's not. I think the more you learn, the easier it is to filter out content um, and, and focus on what's relevant or what you need. But on the other hand, it helps you see what's missing. And that's where I think people that are not lifelong learners come to a disadvantage at some point in their career. Yeah, there's an intellectual humility that I always appreciate about you. And I, I always wonder how you're able to sit in a room and and people come in because you you have a broad perspective and you're an intelligent person. How do you emotionally disconnect when you're in a room where people have the illusion of understanding and you you know they have this slice of the pie when they should be looking at the rest of the pie to to really understand what it is? How do you encapsulate in that moment? Because a lot of times I find myself, I'm just, I get angry. You know, students, I don't get angry because they don't know what they don't right. know. But when you're in a, you know, a group of people that have the illusion of understanding and they don't know it. Well, you know, I many times I'm amazed where I'm like, I've got a lot to learn here. So that helps. Right. I think sometimes where it does get frustrating, it's more when there's either consultants or software companies trying to sell a solution that doesn't make sense. And uh, it's kind of like... um Artificial intelligence is really popular now. And people say, we can apply artificial intelligence to store level demand. So we're going to be able to predict how many units of, you know, brute 
are going to be sold in a store per day. Artificial intelligence, neural networks will never solve that problem. But there's people that come along and say, we're going to be able to do this. Yeah. And people fall for it. That's why I want guys like you in the room. Part of perception is to recognize when you're talking to one of those charlatans. The sales pitch itself is limiting your knowledge. If I don't have somebody that has the broad spectrum of it, it gets you. So I, I love that because I've seen you do it. And you do it in a way that is you allow people to leave the situation with their personality intact. That's a skill. I love it when I see it because it's I don't do it well. I'm I I don't suffer those fools very well. I think you are very good at it, actually. I've seen you do it too. And you know, I just try to think this is a human being and they're extremely valuable. How can I encourage them? You know, the Walton College has our values of excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. And Professionalism includes things like making feel like they belong, that they're included, but collegiality does as well. I always like to think, you know, it's like you and I, when we get together and talk about a topic, we're able to come up with things we couldn't have come up on our own. I have a question I want to ask you. Okay. In your mind, what is the most overvalued asset and what is the most undervalued asset? What are those two things? I would say that the most undervalued asset, and and I hate to think of it just as a a pure asset, but human capital. Mm -hmm. And some people may say, no, it's valued. I've never seen it valued as much as it should be valued. Same here. I hope I keep growing in the degree to which I appreciate and value human capital. But the other thing I would say, uh, most overvalued asset, it's probably cash, liquid cash. And, and the reason I say that is because people say, well, no, cash is great because cash gives you an option value. What I mean by that is, right, if, if something comes along and it's a low price, low, low undervalued, and you can buy it low and then sell it high. I always like to think that if you're really knowledgeable and you're really strategic, then your cash should be invested somewhere. You should be able to find those opportunities. And so the question then is how do we get more cash so I can take advantage of that? And I always think, you know, when I see companies buying stock back, they don't know what to do with their their cash. Right. You know? So I'm always looking, do people know how to use their cash? And I say cash, I mean that in a broad sense. It doesn't mean literal cash, but you know, if, we're, if we keep our eyes open, there's just so much around us, right? It's easy to see it in hindsight. We can look back over five years or 10 years and say, gosh, I wish I would have bought more Bitcoin or other kinds of cryptocurrency, or I wish I would have bought more real estate or whatever the case may be, right? But there's yeah. cases where the opposite happens. I mean, when Bitcoin was at 50,000, there were a lot of people buying it because it had gone up so much and then it went down. It went down to like 30,000. I don't know what's at right now. Those kinds of things are not what I'm talking about so much. You know, Rich, I know you've invested in executive education quite a bit. Yes. That means that you recognize that that investment is good 
for you long term and your company. I mean, your company's obviously benefited as well. But that that would be those would be my two uh, answers. I don't usually have guests to ask me as many questions as you do, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I you you fascinate me. Thank you for allowing me to do that because I I want people to know you the way I know you, and there there needs to be more Matt Waller. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rich. It's been wonderful. I really do appreciate all of your investment in the Walton College. You've done so much. You continue to do it, and I'm very grateful for that. And uh, hope more practitioners out there will will do that as well. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C Podcast, and now Be Epic. <laughs>